Well, we are in week two of a series that we're calling Whatever It Takes, and we've been talking about relationships. Uh, So we've been talking about relationships in the context of marriage or in the context of dating, or maybe you're single and you'd love to get married one day. So wherever you're at in the context or in the spectrum, um, this is going to apply to you. But I want to give you a quick kind of our goal for this series, and I shared this last week, but I can't stress this enough. The simple overall overarching goal of this whole series is is that we really want to help you regret-proof your deathbed. And what I mean by that is one day when you're laying down and your day has come, that that there there wouldn't be a a regret deep inside going, I wish I would have fought for it. I wish we would have tried to work it out or I wish we could have done something um, different. I said this last week, but what if we actually started living our life intentionally now so that when we got to the future, we actually liked it? What if the five-year version of us, when we get there, we actually like ourselves, and we actually enjoy the relationship that we're in, and we actually like our husband, and we actually like our wife? Ultimately, at the end of the day, we don't want you to just be living under one roof, um, saying that you have a commitment, but you don't even like each other. At the end of the day, one, we want you to like each other, and two, we want to help you build a relationship that is going to last um, until the end. But so today, I want to talk about something. We talked about emotions last week. And um, today I want to actually talk about something that I think is going to help you even uh, further. But before we do, just a quick story. Um, In my house, we have six kids. So there is never, and if you have any, if you have over, like even if you have one child, you know this, parents, if you have children, your house is not a quiet place, right? It's, it's not like you have these areas in your house where you're like, this is where I'm going to hide and nobody's going to find me, but they always find you, right? They always, I just, I just, um, I have this, I have two closets in my, in my bedroom and uh, they're actually really big like walk-in closets and we only need one. And so I just, I just converted one of them into an office and I'm thinking, man, my kids, like I can finally go into this place. I can close myself off. And like, it it never fails. I'm in the office, like studying, praying or writing a sermon or preparing something. And one kid is always just knocking on the door. Dad, are you in there? I'm like, yes, this is why I go away to work, to get away from you, right? Um, But no matter what, there's always some kind of chaos ensuing at our house. So I noticed this the other day. My wife had gotten out of the house, and um, she's been trapped in the house for the past few weeks just because we've had sick kids and stuff. So she got out of the house, and uh, it's early in the morning, and all of my kids are up. And I've got Caroline, who is our our three-month-old, and I noticed something. The kids are riding. They have these little bikes with rubber tires that you can ride inside, and so they're riding these little tricycles inside. I've got my my two-year-old who's playing with trucks and trains, and the house is just loud. Um, the kids are playing hide-and-seek. We've got kids riding their bikes around. They're yelling. They're screaming. It, you know, tag, you're it. It's loud. It's crazy. It's chaos. And I noticed something. I've got Caroline on the carpet, and I'm looking at her, and she's smiling so big at me. And I, I realized something in that moment, that she had the ability to tune out the chaos that was going around, and she could focus on her dad in that moment. Like she tuned out everything else that was going on and she had the ability to drill down and focus in on what really mattered in her life, the only man that will ever matter in her life, me, okay? Um, And all of a sudden, so she's like laser focused and I realized something. Oftentimes, if we could get like that in marriage, our relationships would be so much better. 
But, but here's the tendency in marriage oftentimes. Um, rather than focusing on the things that matter, we zoom out and we're focused on all the chaos, right? We're focused on the noise. We're focused on the crazy things that are going on in our life. And it's hard for us to be intentional in our relationships, But just like my daughter, she had the ability to laser focus on the only thing that matters. That's where I want to get you at this morning. I want to talk about our focus. What are you focused on? What kind of lens are you viewing your relationships through? You can view your relationships through two different lenses. The lens of hurt, which is oftentimes you're viewing your relationship through the lens of a lie. Or you can view your relationships through the lens of grace, which you're oftentimes viewing your relationships through the lens of truth. And I'm going to talk about a little bit about that more in a moment, but another quick story. I wore glasses from the time I was four all the way till I was 14. Um, and I'm not talking about regular glasses. I am talking about bifocals. Anybody know what those are? Like a four-year-old should not be wearing bifocals, but I was. My eyes were so bad. Uh, my vision was so horrible. I remember the first time that I actually got the glasses and my mom put them on my face. And I was like, oh my gosh, this is what the world looks like. Um, and they didn't realize how bad it was, but my vision was so bad in order to correct it. They ha- I, I mean, I literally wore like binoculars. That's pretty much what they looked like. And uh, when I was about 12, um, I finally transitioned over to glasses when they, I mean, to contacts when they felt that I was responsible enough, right? And um, I wore those for about two years. And I remember one day, this is not an exaggeration. This is exactly what happened. I remember getting out of my bed and opening my eyes and seeing perfectly clear. And I'm thinking in my mind, oh man, I left my contacts in my eyes. You know, this, my eyes are going to be dried out. This is going to be bad. I remember walking into my bathroom, trying to peel my contacts out, and realizing that I had no contacts in my eyes. I was like, no way, this can't, this cannot be possible. So I remember putting the contacts back in my eyes, and I put the contacts in my eyes, and everything went blurry. And I took them out, and I remember 14, I'm running to my mom, like, I don't need glasses anymore. And she's like, yeah, whatever, put your glasses on. So for the next six months, um, I would, this is not a joke, I would put my glasses on as my mom was sending us off to the bus stop. And as soon as I got in the bus, I would take them off and put them in my backpack. And then when I got home, and my mom would say, I'd put them back on. And she finally took me to the doctor. And the doctor just looks at me and he says, I don't know how to tell you this. Sometimes it happens with, within teenagers and young kids. But he said, your, your vision is 20-20. It just corrected. And I remember thinking, like, man, every time that I put my glasses back on, my vision would blur. But there was a time in my life when I didn't have my glasses on that they were blurry. And, and here's the truth. Just like that example, oftentimes in relationships, if you're viewing your relationship based on past hurts, your relationship is going to be very blurry, and it's going to be out of focus. And so really what I want to help you with this morning is to maybe put the lenses of grace on and so that you can look at your spouse, so that you can look at your relationship, your dating relationship, or your future relationships, and go, man, I want to look at this the right way. So let's talk about something. Let's talk about the lens of hurt. And oftentimes we don't even realize it, but oftentimes we're viewing our relationship through the lens of a lie. And we don't even realize that we are. So I want to talk about three different things that we actually um, unknowingly do a lot of times to our spouse when we're viewing our relationship through the lens of hurt. When you look through the lens of a lie, everything that you're going to see, I want you to understand this, is going to be distorted. Everything is going to be out of focus. So one of the things that you're going to buy into and one of the things that you're going to buy into believing is simply this, that I'm rejected, I'm not wanted, and I don't belong in this relationship. 
See, when you're viewing your relationship through the lens of hurt, you begin to believe a lie. And, and here's the truth. Your spouse could go out of their way to make you feel like you're accepted and you still won't believe it. They could plan a whole day and they could, they could work as hard as they can to try to win over your approval and say, look, I'm focused on you. I'm not rejecting you. But no matter what, you're still going to feel rejected. The lie continues to tell you that you don't belong, right? That you don't belong. The second thing, the second lie that oftentimes it, when, we, when we view our relationship through the lens of hurt is we begin to buy into this, that I'm not enough. And this causes you to compare. This causes you to feel inadequate. So you only feel attractive whenever your spouse tells you. But if they forget a day to say, hey, babe, you look good today, or I like that shirt on you, or whatever it is, if they don't say anything to you that day, you're basing, you, you're basing how good you feel about yourself based on whether they tell you or not. But when they don't encourage you, we go back to feeling like we're not enough. So what ends up happening? We go into this crazy cycle always trying to attain validation from them. Um, and this is where we make dangerously, this is where we make our spouse prove our worth to us. So how many of you ever, let's just be honest, how many of you have ever fallen into this trap? Well, I'm not going to show my spouse that I'm interested in them unless they show me that they're interested in me. Anybody ever done that? Like, you're like, well, I'm not going to give them anything or I'm not going to serve them until they serve me. See, when you feel like you're not enough, here's, here's often what happens. You begin to withdraw. You begin to pull away. And oftentimes um, in relationships, when you feel that distance and you don't know what it is, oftentimes it's because you're, one of you is not feeling like you're enough. And so it creates this distance between you. And so I'd like to call it this zoom in or zoom out kind of mentality. Um, see, when you feel like you're not enough, the, the number one thing that we end up doing is we start comparing. So we start looking at other couples and go, well, if, if she just did that like that couple, then we'd be fine. Or if he just acted like this, or if he could just get a real job like that guy, or, or whatever it may be. And what happens when you start comparing things, comparison uh, causes us to adopt this zoom out mentality. So let me explain it to you like this. If you know how a camera works, you have a function on it where you can zoom in or you can zoom out. Now when you zoom out, what do you get? You get this wide picture. You can see everything, Right? You can see, well, oh, that couple looks so happy. Or you can see, oh, well, she's attractive and maybe my life would be better with her. Or, oh, he's attractive and they look like they've got everything together. And when you zoom out, you begin to focus on all the wrong things and you lose sight of what you and your spouse have. And so here's what God is calling some of us to do today, to zoom in. To zoom in, laser focus on your spouse and begin to think, what do I like about this person? See, Solomon puts it this way. In Song of Songs 6, 9, he says, my dove, my perfect one, is the only one. This is how we have to think, especially if you're married today. Here's what Solomon is saying to his bride. He's saying, I don't want anybody else but you. I'm not thinking about anybody else but you. And this, here's what he's also saying. I'm not comparing you to anyone else. Like, when, when you get married, men, I want you to understand that your wife is your standard of beauty, <laughs> There is no other comparison. It's not us looking at a magazine. If she could look like this, or if she could do this, or if she could act like this. And the wife is saying the same thing to the man. Like, you are my standard of what it means to be a man. You define what it is to be a man. 
And see, when we can do that, that's when both parties feel cherished. That's when they both feel like, okay, we're zoomed in, we're laser focused on each other, and I know that he's not focused on anything else, and he knows that I'm not focused on anything else. But when you zoom out, here's what happens. You genuinely begin to believe the lie that the grass is greener on the other side. The truth is, it never is. My dad said a few weeks ago, he said, it may look greener, but the water bill's a whole lot higher. (laughs) It's never greener on the other side. The, the third thing that we begin to believe is when reviewing our relationships through the lens of a lie is we begin to believe that I'm not worthy. And, and this could be dangerous because when you feel like you're not worthy, this leads you to shame and shame causes you to hide. Now, I, I want to explain something to you. Guilt and shame are two completely different things. Um, guilt attacks the fact that you did something wrong and you know that you need to make it right. So you wronged somebody, you said something that you shouldn't have said, or you treated somebody unfairly, and you get that prick inside of your soul that says, okay, I need to make this right, and I feel bad that I did this. Shame is completely different. Here's what shame does. It does not attack just the the very wrong thing you did. It begins to say, oh, you did wrong, and something's wrong with you. See, shame actually attacks your identity. Shame begins to make you believe that um, it's not the sin that is the problem, it's you. Like, you're the problem. There's something innately wrong with you. God must have, like, left a screw out or something. Shame begins to attack who you are as a person. See, in Genesis 3.10, we see this when Adam and Eve begin to, remember, they, they bit the fruit, and what do they, they realize that they're naked, and it says they were ashamed. And what's the first thing that they do when they, they realize that they're shameful? They hide. They put clothes on, and they hide, and we get this first in Genesis 3.10. He said, I heard the sound of you in the garden, and I was afraid. This is Adam talking to God. I was afraid because I was naked. So watch this. So I hid myself. Married couples, I want you to understand something. Oftentimes, the distance you feel between your spouse is because somebody feels shame about something. And see, when you hide, you can't share the most intimate details about yourself anymore. Because now you begin to believe if I share this with me that they're going to think that something is innately wrong with me and I'm broken and they're not going to want to be with me. They're not going to like the person that I really am. Shame is often the distance that you feel. Shame is often the distance that you feel between you and your spouse. And it's because we're hiding. We're not able to share the most intimate details about our lives. Shame is also the reason that many of us in marriage, we stop caring. Shame is the reason that you're like, well, you know what? He hasn't proven anything for me, so I'm not getting all dressed up for him. I'm just going to Netflix and chill the rest of my marriage, right? <laughs> Pajama pants for life. Because <laughs> why? Because you feel like, well, I'm not worthy. I'm not worth it. I'm not enough. And Because you start buying into these lies, do you see how that seeps into your relationship? Do you see how it begins to distort your view of what marriage is all about, the covenant and the union that you have, you begin to feel like, I'm rejected, I'm I'm not enough, I'm, I'm not worthy. See, relationships are ruined when we build them on hurt. Relationships are ruined when we build them on the back of a lie. Why? They're ruined because, let's just be honest, it's easy to focus on the things that we don't like about our spouse, isn't it? If we did a poll real quick and I said, 
um, okay, draw a line down the middle of your paper and on one end, write all the things that you like about your spouse and on the other end, write all the things that you don't like. I bet you the list of all the things that you don't like would be a whole lot longer. Well, I don't like this. I don't like that. I don't, it's so easy, listen to me, to focus on the drama in relationships. It's easy to focus on all the things that we wish our spouse would change, right? It's easy to become focused on the lie and our vision begins to blur. So I want to tell you something. If you remember anything that I say this morning, this is the most important thing that I'm going to say. Remember this. Your spouse was never made to heal your wounds. And if you keep expecting them to, eventually you will crucify them just like we crucified Jesus. Your spouse was never meant to feel the deep ache inside of your soul. But oftentimes, listen, it's just easier to look to a person that we can tangibly touch and go, complete me, right? Well, when I'm unhappy, make me happy. Or when I don't feel right, make me feel right. The truth is, at the end of the day, your spouse or even your marriage or single people, even you getting a man or a woman, is never going to make you feel any better than you do right now. See, marriage was never designed to fill the void inside of our hearts. Marriage was never designed to make us um, satisfy the ache. Our relationships were never designed to fill that void inside of us. And the truth is, if we keep looking to it like this, the more you look to your spouse to complete you, the the honest truth is, the more you're going to vilify your spouse. The more that you're going to turn them into somebody that you don't like. Because here's what happens. Rather than focusing on the good about them, you're going to focus on all the things that they're not doing correctly, and they become a villain. And all of a sudden, here's what happens. You're basing your happiness based on whether they can make you happy or not. And now you're placing a crushing expectation on this other person who can never live up to your expectations anyway. Who can never make you feel amazing all the time. Let's just be honest. Hollywood has done such a disjustice to relationships, right? Like every, this is what drives me crazy about every Disney movie. And we all fall for it, right? We go to the movies and they're like, man, did you see that? They're so in love. And every Disney movie ends with what? And they lived happily ever what? After. We all know that's a lie. <laughs> like, they lived happily ever after and then they got in a fight. <laughs> see, but Hollywood, the, the way that we have based romance is that, man, if you're going to stay in love, if, if marriage is going to be everything that you think it's going to be, then you're always going to just feel good. And this person is always just going to make you feel good. And they're always going to complete you. But can I tell you something? That deep ache that you feel inside of your soul right now, marriage was never intended to feel that. Gary Thomas, who's written, written a ton of marriage books, he said, he said it this way. He said, what if the purpose of marriage was actually to make you holy, not happy? Listen, I, if you want to become more like Jesus, just get married. <laughs> If you want to become even more like Jesus, get married and have kids. <laughs> right? Because what does marriage do? It draws every bad thing out of you. Because before marriage, you, just, you didn't realize how much you lived for yourself. You woke up whenever you wanted. You did whatever you wanted. You ate whenever you wanted. If you wanted to leave clothes on the floor, you left clothes on the floor. You did whatever you want. Your life was about you. And, then, and listen to me. You have to understand this. 
Most people, a lot of times, they think that they're going to get married, and then all of that emptiness that they feel is just going to go away. Listen, when you put two sinful people together under one roof, it does not make a right. It actually makes it a whole lot worse. (laughs) And so what does it do? It begins to create this process of sanctification in us, of going, whoa, all right, God is actually trying to shape us and make us more like him by getting married. So what if the purpose of marriage was not to make us happy, but it was to make us holy? I believe that there is a piece of that that is so true. I'm not saying that you can't ever be happy in marriage. But I'm saying this, the deep ache that you feel inside of your soul is never going to be quenched, is never going to be satisfied by your spouse. Actually, Colossians 2, 9 through 10 puts it this way. For in Christ lives all the fullness of God in the human body. So you also are complete, watch this, through your union with Christ, who is the head over every ruler and authority. So what is the scripture teaching us? Man, we're made whole, we're made complete, not by another person, but by Jesus. That deep ache, that deep longing that you're feeling, like you have to learn to anchor that in Christ. When you, when you have days and your spouse doesn't complete you, and you have days when your spouse didn't live up to your expectations, you can still move forward because you know that your completion comes from Jesus rather than another person. So let's talk about this. We've talked about some of the lies when we view our relationships through the lenses of hurt. We're basing our relationships on a lie. Well, what happens when we view our relationship through the lens of grace? And hopefully, this is where we can get ourselves today. When you view your relationship through the lens of grace, this causes you to view your relationships through truth. And when you look through the lenses of truth, everything begins to come into focus. So rather than feeling rejected, here's what happens. Now you feel accepted. You begin to rest in God's approval of you. You begin to rest in the fact that, hey, even if I don't feel like they're for me, or even if I don't feel like they're approving of me in this moment, I am confident in one thing that God does. Craig Rochelle said it this way. He said, the quickest way for people to, the quickest way for you to forget what God thinks about you is to be more concerned with what other people think about you. And that's so true. So many of us are so concerned about what other people think about us that we forget that God is the only one that really matters anyway. Paul even puts it like this in Galatians 1.10. He says, obviously, I'm not trying to win the approval of people. He said, but of God, if pleasing people were my goal, listen to this, he says, I would not be Christ's servant. So I want you to understand That when you begin to look through the lens of truth, when you begin to look through the lens of grace, you begin to feel accepted, not just by your spouse, but ultimately by your heavenly father. And you begin to realize something, that you don't have to perform to get approval from other people. How many of you ever get caught up in this performance cycle? This cycle of like, I've got to do well for my spouse to like me. I've got to perform over and over and over. And the moment that you stop performing is the moment that they're going to think like I'm a horrible person. But here's the good news. If you, if you wrap yourself in Jesus, is that God already says you're approved. God already says that you are enough. Now, here's the problem. Oftentimes, there's a gap between knowing and feeling, isn't there? There's a big gap So intellectually, I think a lot of us understand what the gospel means. We understand that God approves of us. We know it right here. We know intellectually, well, God will never leave me nor forsake me, but we don't feel it, do we? 
We know it. We know it deep down, but something in our heart says, but that's not true. But listen to me. If you stay committed long enough, we talked about this last week, if you stay committed long enough, your emotions will eventually catch up with your commitment. But the reasons your emotions never catch up with your commitment is because you don't stay committed long enough. And some, can I tell you this? There's no easy road in marriage. There just isn't. I think oftentimes we're looking for the easy path. We're looking for the easy road. Paul even says, listen, if you don't have to get married, don't do it. <laughs> like, how encouraging is that? Like, the Apostle Paul, who writes more than half of the New Testament, is like, listen, I'm not getting married because women are crazy. So if you don't have to do it, then don't do it, okay? The same, same it's vice versa. Men are the same way. Women are just a little crazier, I think, but I'm just biased. Um, I'm going to get in trouble for that later. (laughs) But oftentimes, there's a huge gap between knowing and feeling. But listen, that's when you have to stay rooted and anchored to your commitment. Oh, hold on. Even though I feel like I want to jet, even though I feel like I want to leave, even though I feel like I want to get out of this, even though I feel like I'm not enough, I'm going to anchor myself to the commitment. Because the commitment that I made to God and the commitment that I made to this person is more important than anything. When you begin to look through the lens of truth, one, you begin to feel accepted. The second thing that happens is you begin to feel like, I am enough. And this actually leads you to empathy. Um, And empathy leads you to giving the benefit of the doubt. I'm going to say something that um, I believe is true. But I've, I've talked to a counselor on this, and she said, I actually believe that the number one reason that people get divorced is not for all the reasons that we say that it is. It's not, for, it's not affairs, it's not money, it's not any of that kind of stuff. She said, I believe it's a lack of empathy. It's a lack of giving the person the benefit of the doubt. All of a sudden, here's what happens in relationships. When our spouse wrongs us, we feel like, well, I've got to wrong them back, Right? Rather than giving them the benefit of the doubt of, okay, maybe what she was meaning in that conversation, she was actually trying to tell me that she had a horrible day, and because she had a horrible day, she said some things that she probably didn't mean, but it came out of her mouth anyway, or vice versa. This is why the internet is such a dangerous place. Have you ever noticed how unforgiving the internet is? Have you ever noticed like when, when somebody does something wrong and it gets spread around on social media? Like the internet, it's not about grace. It's all about how do we destroy this person's life? You ever notice that, how it's so unforgiving? Oftentimes we can adopt that mentality in marriage. If we're not careful, if we're viewing our relationship through the lens of a lie, we, we lose empathy for the spouse. We lose the whole idea of giving that person the benefit of the doubt. Like maybe the actions that they did was not something that they really wanted to do, but maybe they were just in a bad spot and you didn't lean in. Or maybe you didn't care enough to ask them, hey, are you okay? We have to learn to give our spouse the benefit of the doubt. This is one of the things that I'm telling you has literally transformed Claire and I's marriage. We, We had a lady tell us a long time ago, a few months ago, she said, listen, when you're arguing, She said, I know that you feel like the target, right? I know you feel like your spouse is just firing arrows at you, and because you feel like a target, you feel like the most human, instinctive thing to do is what? Fire arrows back. 
How many of you have ever been in an argument and you're like, just, just hit me, baby. Just keep, like, just keep like, hitting me with arrows and I'm just going to be quiet. I don't know about you, but I'm not good at being quiet. And Claire and I are both like very strong-willed people, so when we get in arguments, we, we usually say things that we, we regret, right? But if you can understand this, that in an argument, you have to understand that, man, your spouse is not the target. And if one person can get this, hold on, the reason that they're talking to me this way is probably because they're just in a bad spot. And so if you can remove yourself from being the target and begin to lean in to understand where that person is at, like, man, maybe they had a horrible week. Maybe my wife has been trapped inside for two weeks and she just needs to get out. And you begin to analyze the situation like, man, why are they treating me like this? Why are they talking to me like this? And guess what happens? You gain a whole new perspective on the whole situation rather than just feeling like you're being attacked. The third thing that we begin to view our relationships through when we look at it through the lens of truth is this. We begin to feel worthy. This is when we can actually finally come to a place, and this is such a healthy place to be, where we do our best in the relationship, but we can acknowledge our failures and inadequacies, inadequacies when we have them. So when you can find, listen, this is the healthiest place that you can be in a marriage or in a relationship. You can say, look, I know I'm weak in this, and can you just give me some grace on this? Another person can say, Absolutely. When you begin to feel like you're worthy, when you begin to view your relationship through the lens of truth, here's what happens. You're able to forgive your spouse. You're able to forgive your coworkers, your friends, other people for their faults and failures. I, I, I genuinely wonder how many relationships would change overnight if we just retrained our focus. If we just begun to swap out the lenses we begin to realize, man, I'm, I'm viewing this relationship through hurt, through a lie. And what if we begin to focus on the things that we actually like about our spouse rather than zooming out and always focusing on the things that we don't like? Actually, this is biblical. Let me read something to you in Philippians 4, verse 8 through 9. It's Paul. He says, summing it all up, friends, I'd say you'll do your best by filling your minds and meditating on things that are true, things that are noble, things that are reputable, authentic, compelling, gracious, the best, not the worst, the beautiful, not the ugly, things to praise, not things to curse. Put into practice what you learned from me, what you heard and what you saw and realized. Do that in God who makes everything work together will work you into his most excellent harmonies. So I want, to, I want you to leave here with some homework. What would it look like? And look, it may only be five things. It may not be a whole lot. But what would it look like if in one week you said, you know what, I'm going to start focusing on everything that I like about my spouse. Everything that I like about the relationship. So, and, and listen, I'm just being honest. Sometimes wherever your relationship is at, it may not be a lot. But there is something that you can focus. Okay, he provides. I'm going to just focus on that he's a good provider. He loves our kids. I'm going to focus on the fact that he loves our kids. Our husbands, rather than you coming home and saying, man, why is the house a wreck? Like your kids are alive when you got home, <laughs> right? Let's just focus on my kids are alive. I love her for keeping my kids alive. Whatever it may be, it's easy to find the negative. 
But what Paul is saying, what if you actually just started meditating and focusing on the things that are true, focusing on the things that you like about that person? So you could ask yourself this question, what is the best thing about them? What is the most beautiful thing about them? What is the thing that attracted me to them in the first place? And look, I know the list could be long about all the things that you don't like, but what if we stop focusing on those things? What if we started focusing on the best? And listen, I'm not asking you to pretend. I'm not asking you to be abused emotionally or physically if that's what's going on. I'm not like, okay, he hits me every day. I'm just going to focus on the fact that it wasn't that hard. That's not what I'm saying. Okay, don't take this out of context. What I am saying is the fact that, you, that you're focusing on the good things. I mean, if you're in an abusive relationship or in a relationship that is not going well for you, I would strongly suggest counseling or something like that. But here's the truth. What would our relationships look like if we begin to dwell on the good things? My, my wife wrote this down. I thought this was so wise. Thinking good about them changes you. But saying the good about them to them changes them. So, so let me say that again. Thinking good about them changes you. But saying the good about them to them changes them. Now, now here's, here's what happens. Women, let me let you a little insight into men. Do you realize, like, you have so much power in your words? Like, there's times when I felt so low, and I feel like I'm inadequate, and I feel like I'm not enough, and I'm like, man, I can't do this anymore. And my wife could say one thing, and I'm like, I can do anything. This is, this is the reason why men do dumb things. Because all they have to do is have their woman, like, I bet you can't jump off the bridge. Oh, watch me, Right? Like women, there's so much power in your words. You don't realize how much you have the ability to build your man up and make him think like he can do anything. It's the difference between when all, sometimes all men need is just a quick word from their wife. And men are wired that way. When they get just a little bit of encouragement, all of a sudden they feel like they can conquer the world. It's the same idea. Of like it doesn't matter. It's like when a man looks in the mirror, he could be overweight, he could be whatever. He's like, man, I look good, Right? But it's the same idea when a woman looks in, she can always pick out every flaw, right? Everything that she doesn't like about herself. Now, I'm not saying this. It doesn't mean that we make up good things about our spouse. This means, listen to me, this is key. This means that we learn to be keenly aware at where they are good. My wife also wrote this down. I thought this was wise. She said this. When we start seeing the ugly side or the bad side of our spouse... We need to lay that before God before we lay into them. (laughs) Listen, when you're married, you see the most intimate sides of each other. You see the ugly side. You see the side that comes out of that person that is not fully submitted to Christ yet. But what if, before you address the issue head on, like you brought that before God? God, how do I deal with this? We talked about that last week, that we, we learned to pause, we learned to pray, we learned to process, we learned to partner with other people. Like, what could we actually get done in our conversations if rather than just going, oh, I see the ugly side, and now let me address that. What if we brought that before God first and said, God, man, what do you want me to do in this situation? And if we're not careful, if we don't lay it before God, we just lay into them, and nothing gets solved. Have you ever, couples, how many of you have ever felt like you've had the same argument for 10 years? 
and nothing's ever gotten, don't, don't raise your hand. <laughs> your wife's like, you better not raise your hand. And oftentimes it's, it's genuinely because we have not brought that before God. We have not come to a place where we feel confident enough to come before God. So I, I want to close with just a little bit of encouragement. What lens are we looking through? Because if you're viewing your relationship through the lens of the lie, anything that is built on a lie is going to be destructive. And your vision's going to be out of focus. And what ends up happening is you begin to view your spouse as the enemy. Well, if they would just change this, if they would just do this, then I would be for them. No, you won't. Because as soon as they change those things, and as soon as they make those things right, you're going to have two or three more things. And it's just going to be this never-ending cycle, this never-ending cycle that goes on and on and on. So how do we get to the lens of grace? How do we, how do we get ourselves out of looking through a lie to believing a truth? It goes back to something I said in the very beginning. You have to give your spouse the benefit of the doubt. And let me tell you something. When you are unwilling to forgive your spouse because you think that their sin against you is so wrong, it's like you saying, um, God, don't forgive them. And I find it so amazing how a lot of times we want, we're so quick to say, God, forgive me for what I've done. But when our spouse wrongs us, we can't forgive them. It's all of a sudden like their sin is so great, but yet God has continued and graciously forgiven you of your own sin over and over and over and over again. And yet he still continues to do it. But when you start to look through the lens of grace, here's what happens. You begin to give your spouse the benefit of the doubt. You begin to understand, man, they're human just like I am. They make mistakes just like I do. They blow it just like I They have bad days just like I do. And you begin to realize, man, we're two imperfect people in a relationship. And we're trying to make this thing work. So when you start giving your spouse the benefit of the doubt, it moves you over to the lens of grace. And you begin to see things in fuller Focus. You start to have 20-20 vision about what's really going on in their heart. And, and here's what's crazy. When you start giving your spouse the benefit of the doubt, here's what happens. You start seeing a side of your spouse that you've never noticed before. You start to understand the things that really bother them. The things that discourage them. The things that frustrate them. You start having conversations that you've never had before. Start having intimate conversations about things that really upset them or things that bother them or things that, you know, make them have joy or whatever it may be. But if we're not careful, we can get so caught in just going through the motions, right? That a relationship almost becomes so robotic. Well, if you don't hurt me, I won't hurt you. If you don't do evil towards me, I won't do evil towards you. So wherever you're at this morning, whatever kind of relationship that you're in, I want you to understand that more than anything, God is for your marriage. Man, marriages are such under attack today. The enemy would love nothing greater than to destroy your marriage. To drive a wedge through there. And maybe he's already done it in some small way. 
Maybe he's always put a wedge in there. Maybe a, a sowed a seed of doubt or mistrust or whatever it may be. Can, can I tell you this? It, you, it's never too late. Never. Never too late. There's always hope for the future. If you start living intentionally now, by the time that you get to the future, you'll actually like it. So what would it look like if it, rather than you going home and just, you know, popping on the TV and eating your Sunday lunch and continuing about your routine, what would it look like if you had a real honest conversation? Something my wife and I talked about last year is um, this face-to-face conversation, real talk. And it's times when my wife and I sit down and we say, what can I start doing, what can I stop doing, and what can I keep doing? So it's you. Now listen, when you do this, you have to give your spouse the license to say whatever they want, and you can't get offended. Like, tell me what I need to stop doing. You need to stop being an idiot. Oh, I'm not, what? Boom, boom, boom. And you start going back and forth with an argument, okay? You have to like, all walls have to go down. But what it would look like if you started building on healthy communication and you say, hey, what can I start doing? And you could start like just telling me you love me every time you leave the house. Just, just do that. And men, sometimes you're, I think we have it in our minds like that our wives have these huge expectations of us. And you know what I've learned over the years? It's just the little things. Just the little consistent things every day. Just, just say you love me before you leave the house. Just every now and then, just leave me a note, letting me know that you're thinking about me. It's the little things. It's the small things. But listen, God cares about your marriage. But so does the enemy. Because he's going to do anything that he can to destroy it, to bring destruction towards it. And the reason that we do this series every single year is because relationships are so important. Because if you're not careful, oftentimes the way that the enemy discourages you and he ruins your faith is by getting in between your marriages and by getting in between your relationships. Because if he can do that, it's easy to discourage you. It's easy to sow seeds of mistrust. It's easy to ruin you. 